People, I think, are just keen to get to the beach. They want a bit of warmth. That's Margie Osmond from the Tourism and Transport Forum there about our travel goals post-COVID. And we hear from her this episode. This is Keeping Up With Corona. Hello, I'm Robin Bailey. I'm Monique Jews. Do you have any plans? Are you desperate to go away somewhere? Okay, so I have had two situations around travel. One was that I actually booked flights but didn't pay for them to go to Sydney last weekend and see my mum. And I went through the whole process and then I got to talk to my boss and I said, can I go? Because there are no hotspots in New South Wales at this particular moment. Yeah. And he said, the problem is, while the borders are closed, if a hotspot happens, and you're in the uh, two weeks that you've been back, yikes. it would potentially shut down everyone that I work very closely with and everyone would have to go home. Now, I'm not willing to do that, even though I desperately want to see my mum. Oh. So that's the first thing. The oh, second no. thing is I've booked a trip to Noosa um, for the school holidays. So I am going because oh. I need to get away. <laughs> am I going to see you there? Because I booked a trip. Have you? I booked a trip to Noosa too. <laughs> we should just say at this point we're Queenslanders <laughs> and we're travelling within our own state because they're telling oh. us to Go, go, go around Queensland, as they are mm. throughout Australia. They're telling us all to holiday in our own states. And lucky, I absolutely love Nooseville. It's my favourite place in the whole world. Are oh, you in Nooseville? Um, I'm at Noosa Heads. Okay. Um, I've got a really big uh, Airbnb. It's got five bedrooms because I enticed my sons and said they could bring their girlfriends. Oh. So we needed a big house to have everyone. That so, sounds gorgeous. Yeah, well, I just, yeah, it'll be great. And, mate, I will get in that surf every <laughs> Every single day. <laughs> so I'll see you there. And I'll tell you what, I'll meet you at Bistro C for a coffee. You betcha. If you want to get away from them. You betcha. <laughs> so oh, we're sorted. We're sorted. <laughs> we are sorted. On the line, Margie Osmond from the Tourism Transport Forum. <laughs> I guess we're talking about today travel goals post-COVID. You've been mm-hmm. doing all the research into, into this. Are Aussies desperate to travel again? Well, they certainly tell us they'd like to get out and about, but they want to get out and about to visit friends and family before they want to do much else. Uh, and I think that's probably what we saw over the June weekend. And to a degree, we may very well see a bit of a change in school holiday behaviour this year because I think people will say, oh, let's go and see Granny, uh, as opposed to let's pop off to Bali, which, of course, they can't do. No. I think a lot of people are desperate to come to Queensland too. Is that, that, well, is that what you're finding? <laughs> There is no doubt. I mean, essentially, when we first asked the question nationally, you know, if you could travel interstate, where would you like to go? The number one destination was the Gold Coast, which unfortunately at this point in time is also not available as an option until, well, at least the 10th of July. Uh, But what we have seen as a consequence is uh, bookings just off the scale in northern New South Wales. So people, I think, are just keen to get to the beach. They want a bit of warmth. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. Queensland's attractive because, A, we don't have many cases of COVID and, B, we are warm, right? There is that, yes. I mean, certainly the Sunshine Coast is an equally popular destination to the Gold Coast. And I think the other thing, too, is that both of those destinations cater pretty well to families and there's more to do than just go to the beach. I mean, particularly in the case of the Gold Coast, I think it fulfills that criteria of, if you like, an urban beach. You know, you can take the kids to a theme park or you can go and play on the sand. You've got to be a little bit annoyed with Victoria, I would imagine, from your perspective, because this sudden spike in in cases, it's going to affect our borders, isn't it? And it's going to affect tourism, I would imagine. People are not going to be able to move around as much. Well, look, I think probably disappointed as opposed to annoyed. I mean, we've been 100% behind the government 
in terms of putting health first, because that's their job. They should be putting the health of Australians ahead of anything else. Uh, I think what's interesting is that um, the Premier in New South Wales has made the decision not to actively close the border. She's saying there's a bit of a travel warning here, be sensible, stay away from COVID hotspots. And I think probably that's the right advice as opposed to simply closing the border. But I do feel very sad for Victoria. Uh, they were just starting to gear up into their school holiday season and, you know, a few green shoots and this will slow that recovery right back. Mm. And they won't be able to come to Queensland, will they, really? Because no. they'd have to quarantine for two weeks, which defeats the purpose. It certainly does. I mean, I think for anybody with little ease, the prospect of spending two weeks in a hotel room with uh, your children, children darling as they may be, is probably not on the top of anybody's list of relaxation options. Do you think generally people are still a little bit nervous about travelling, even in, within Australia? Yes, I do. And I think this is part of the message that we've been trying to get through to government. Just don't assume it's all going to snap back. It's not. Um, for many people, they want to be reassured that, you know, social distancing's in place, the hygiene's right, um, that there's the lowest possible chance of, of uh, COVID rearing its ugly head anywhere near them. And I think um, it's interesting when we ask people about their preferred methods of transport. Um, number one is the, your own private car, because people clearly think, you know, I can control that environment. After that comes higher cars. After that comes trains and then planes mm-hmm. and then buses and then taxis. So, you know, there's kind of a descending scale there in terms of people's confidence. And I think that issue around feeling safe in your own car means we may see this serious rebirth of the road trip. Mm. And it's one of the reasons why camping grounds, caravan parks, whatever else, have been doing huge business over the last couple of weeks because people perceive that once again as a space that they can be safe in and they can control. I do think the visiting friends and family piece is quite important. People want to reconnect. So they seem willing to drive sort of four or five hours and stay a couple of days. But, you know, we just have to see. I think this is a, a bit of a, you know, wait and see space at the moment because I do think it's going to take longer than anybody anticipates for people to feel fully confident about travelling again. Yeah. Well, we're talking nationally, but internationally, do you have any thoughts on when we're actually going to be willing to get on a plane to go overseas again? Well, more than when we're willing, it'll be a case of when governments decide to make the borders, uh, you know, uh, a little more flexible. Um, I'm co-chair of the Safe Border Group, who are the ones who developed the operational plan for the Trans-Tasman opening. Uh, And we were reasonably hopeful that we might see that happen in July. I think it'll be a little later now because we've had a situation in New Zealand with a couple of cases coming out of quarantine early and now we've got the Victorian situation. But I still think that we'll have the Trans-Tasman probably open, you know, August, September. Uh, And the important thing about that is it gives us a template for how we might open up to other countries. The whole idea with the Trans-Tasman, though, is that you don't have to do the two-week isolation, so that's why the conditions have to be right. Mm. But it's not completely impossible that in the first part of next year we'd be looking at, um, maybe even later this year, places like Hong Kong, potentially um, South Korea, uh, maybe Singapore, maybe Japan. It'll be countries that have a profile for having managed the disease well that I think will drive the decisions by government in terms of what opens. Sounds good. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye, Margie.
Cheers. Bye. You're listening to Keeping Up With Corona. Now, I know we're out of ISO, but many parts of the world are not just yet, and the COVID parodies just keep coming. This one was done by Shirley Saban. She's a bit of a YouTuber hit, mm-hmm. and it's Maria and the Von Trapps with a modern take on that classic Do Re Mi. Do Oh, thank you, Maria. I know. Julie Andrews would love that. (laughs) They've titled that The Sound of Pandemic, which is very cute. Can you believe we have made it to 17 episodes? Wow. No, I can't. (laughs) Absolutely. And this is the final one for the moment. This is the last one. We're just hitting pause for a little bit. And when we started, we were all in ISO. We had no idea how on earth to manage this COVID-19 situation. We didn't even know what it was. We didn't know how the world was going to cope. We didn't know that our lives were going to be changed to a point that they are almost unrecognisable for people. Almost. And we have covered so many topics over the last uh, several months. So thank you for going on the the COVID ride with me. (laughs) We may come back in a different form down the track. It's the end of season one. But thank you so much, everybody, for listening in and, and joining us. I think we've had a good time. Yes, we have. That's Keeping up with Corona, thanks to our audio guru, Anthony Badalato, and the entire iHeartRadio team for getting us to air every week. Yeah, stay safe, everyone. Stay sane. See ya. Bye.